Before sunrise, Burn Dairy and Deli is preparing to fuel your day with hot coffee, donuts, muffins, breakfast sandwiches, and other morning staples. For lunch, grab a giant deli sandwich made the way you like it. Pizza, wings, wraps, or a fresh salad. Plus, something to wash it down. Then pick up dinner or a sweet treat and other pantry essentials. Now you can get your Burn Dairy and Deli favorites delivered with DoorDash. All day, every day, you can count on Burn Dairy and Deli. It's all good. Hey, this is Linda Cohn from ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter is back with you, brought to you by Rosie's Corner, Stanley Law Offices, Brewerton Ace Hardware, and our great, great friends over at Prestwick Golf. If you are in and around Central New York, make sure you get your golf clubs regripped this winter at Prestwick Golf on Court Street in Central New York. Of course, a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. It is an absolute delight to bring on to the program a baseball great. During his era, he was right at the top uh, of, of the list for fireballers, no doubt. And oh, by the way, he just got elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, this summer will be the induction in late July again by the Golden Days Era Committee and the Early Baseball Era Committee. They held meetings on Sunday, December 5th in Orlando, and um, the previous group uh, considered a ballot of 10 candidates whose primary contributions came from 1950 to 1969, and then the Early Baseball Era Committee considered a 10-person ballot whose primary contributions came prior to 1950. One of those names, they decided, deserves to enter the doors in Cooperstown, New York, is the great Jim Cott. Jim, thank you for a few minutes. Congratulations. I've had you on many times over the years. Welcome back, and wow, what a moment. Congratulations to you. Well, thank you so much, Mike. It's a pretty humbling honor. You know, it's, uh, you never know with the Veterans Committee. It's, uh, I think I, I felt confident with having the right people on the committee, but still, uh, you know, we got 12 votes right on the number, but when you understand the process, you realize that uh, all the choices they have, and they only can vote for four, that uh, it's a good accomplishment to get to 12. So I'm, I'm very grateful. It's been an exciting few days already. You know, last night I watched a football life, Drew Pearson, and he went through just excruciating pain, waiting and waiting and seeing, and he thought 2020 was the year. And I thought of you because a lot of baseball players and, and other sports, football, basketball, et cetera, um, you know, hockey, they, 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 they go through this pain. But you and I, if I remember when we talked a few years ago, you, you haven't gone through that, right? Because you've had your baseball career. You, you always talk about how lucky you were. D- did you go through pain at all during this whole time? No, not at all. I mean, you mean in terms of the Hall of Fame, fame vote? Yeah. No, not at all. I think the... The day of the voting is probably as uncomfortable a day and just filled with anxiety because there's just no other way to do it. I went through it in 2011, and then I was on every three years they did my class, and I just missed in 2014. And then they, you know, they changed it every five years, and then they skipped the year because of the pandemic. So now it's been seven years. And that time waiting, uh, you know, they call early in the week, say, hey, you're on the ballot, and, uh, you know, we wish you well. And, and uh, the time frame that you'll get a call would be from 515 to 545. 
Uh, and then MLB starts their show at six and we don't call with bad news. So, you know, if that time lapses and you don't get a call, which I've gone through before, then, you know, you're not in. And so, uh, I watch golf and football and I had the headphones on and I'm even watching the commercials, you know, just anything to, uh, keep my mind off it. And then, uh, it got to be about five 30. I thought just a few minutes after, and I thought, well, I don't know. Here we go again. And then the phone rang and I looked at the area code and it was nine one seven. That's not a Cooperstown area code. <laughs> so I thought, well, I don't know this who this is. And I pick up the phone and you know, the female voice said, is this Jim Cott? I said, yes. She said, well, this is Jane Clark. And that's all I had to hear. That's all you had to hear. Yeah. No <laughs> because, kidding. Yeah. When that, because, yeah. When that phone rings, you're like, wait, it's not a six Oh seven. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, your life just changes when you get that, uh, as a, as a baseball player. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's been humbling. And, uh, um, you know, when you're a first ballot hall of famer, I think you prepare to celebrate like a Derek Jeter, you know, you're going to get in. And yeah. So you have a celebration party planned or whatever. But in my case, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that at 83, uh, I didn't think it would happen in my lifetime. And the fact that it did, I just about put the Hall of Fame in my rearview mirror. So uh, it's it's been very, very gratifying and humbling. Yeah, Senators, Twins, White Sox, Phillies, Yankees, Cardinals, a three-time All-Star, a 16-time Gold Glove Award winner, an AL wins leader in 1966, a Minnesota Twins Hall of Famer, but now on the resume, National Baseball Hall of Famer. Uh, Jim Cott is our guest here on the ML Sports Platter. You know, you brought up the the ballot thing, which is a, just a great uh, uh, segue here. I've always been okay with the ballots. I know a lot of people are upset. You know, well, if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer. Where do you land on that? Well, I, I'll give this year is a good example in that, you know, one of the sweetest calls I got was Monday morning. I got a call from Willa Allen. That's Dick Allen's widow. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dick and I were so close, uh, you know, during our years in Chicago, and she was congratulating me. And I said, I feel so badly for Dick. He missed by one vote again. And she said, yes, you know, we were kind of expecting it. But see, if there's six, some years, the Veterans Committee, there may only be two guys that would be legitimate, you know, inductees. And so you can vote for four. So their job's pretty easy. Well, this year, there was probably six. I think Maury Wills, they thought he'd get some recognition. So legitimately five of us got just about all the votes. So Dick got the short end by one vote. And there's a case where you say, well, why limit it to four? If, if they got six guys this year that they think are legitimate, then why not vote for all six? Uh, And that's where somebody like uh, Dick got left out by one ba- one vote each year. Uh, I missed by one one year and by two the other. So, you know, you kind of wish that would change, but, uh, you know, you, you live with the system and that's the way it is. Okay, so you're going into the Hall of Fame, and this class includes a, a, a former teammate of yours and, and, and a close pal, Antonio Leva here. You know, I mean, that that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, then you have Gil Hodges, you have uh, Minnie Minoso, and, and then you have uh, Bud Fowler, Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill should have been in a long time ago, too. Uh, Fowler, uh, Hodges, Minoso, and O'Neill, as we know, uh, are, are deceased. But 
Uh, can you just share maybe a thought on each of these guys who are going in with you and, and the connection uh, that you have with this group, Jim? Because it's a strong one. Well, you know, I start with Buck O'Neill, and when I would go in to do games in Kansas City, you know, Buck would always be seated there in the in the press room, in the press dining room, well before the game, and and I was fortunate, uh, you know, to pull up a chair at his table and have him regale me about stories about Satchel Page, and then of course he he started the Negro League Museum, which I've toured through a couple times, so I had enjoyable conversations with Buck. Uh, and then Minnie Minoso, I played against. I crossed paths with him a few times, so I knew him more as a, as a player and respected what he did as a player. Gill, I only crossed paths with a couple times when he was manager of the Mets. I knew about him, but uh, I didn't know him that well uh, personally. And then, of course, Tony, uh, my, my ultimate goal in a dream world was if I went in with both Tony and Dick Allen, that would have just been special. And of course, Joe, uh, Dick passed away last year, but uh, Tony and I were on a Zoom call the other day. And like, uh, we, I was kidding him. I said, T, we're each 83. We got to trace, stay healthy and alive through this July induction, you know, <laughs> but uh, that'll be so cool. Uh, it already has been to share stories about what, Tony means to me and what he means to the Twins organization and what a great player he was. No doubt. Hall of Famer Jim Cott, 2021 class, of course, uh, here on the ML Sports Platter. Just a couple more for you, Jim. I know how much of a whirlwind it's, this whole thing's been, and your phone's got to be going off left and right, lighting up like a Christmas tree. Um, you know, you are such a, a, a great guy and an ambassador for the game, and it's so deserving and you've been an unbelievable broadcaster as well. If Jim Cott, the broadcaster, could describe Jim Cott, the player in his prime, and, and how you played the game and, and what were the highlights that you think maybe the way you played the game and your skill set you know, would, would rise above anything else, uh, which makes you a Hall of Famer. How, how would the broadcaster describe the player in his prime? Well, boy, that's... Uh... You know, you, I just I hate talking about my own, uh, you know, accomplishments or, you know, they're there for people to read about. But I would say I took pride in being a baseball player that also happened to be a pitcher, just happened to be a pitcher. So, you know, you want to learn to swing the bat, be able to bunt, field your position, run the bases. And then uh, I always took a lot of pride. in. I remember Sam Neely, our manager in the 60s, he's since passed away. And he said, his daughter said, Sam would love to have a picture of you. Uh, you know, this was, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And uh, so I sent him a picture and then I signed it. Thank you for giving me the ball every four days. Hmm. And Sam's reply on the phone to his daughter was, it was a pleasure to give you the ball every four days. So that's what I took a lot of pride in is, you know, I never missed a start because of an arm injury. I broke my wrist sliding into second base. I missed the half a year of 72 where I was really might have been having my best year. And then 76, uh, Danny Ozark called me in to pinch run for Greg Lasinski and uh, sliding into third, I cracked a kneecap. So those cost me some time, but I, I didn't miss any starts because of an arm injury. I injured my arm the last start in 67 which would have been the Tommy John surgery. They didn't have it then. And then by resting all winter, I was okay to pitch in 68, even though I pitched in kind of a compromised 
position, uh, you know, my, my skills were pretty limited, but I tried to do the best I could with smoke and mirrors. But I would say the dependability, reliability, and I, I guess in a phrase, and some manager mentioned this to me early in my career, if you just do the ordinary things in an extraordinary fashion, you'll be okay. You don't have to be the flashy things. You don't have to, like, say, the pitcher's case, pitch the no-hitters or strike out 15. But if you just pitch well enough to help your team win the game, uh, that's what you want to do. And so, you know, I'm not up there on the strikeout totals or no-hitters or anything like that, but uh, I just wanted to be able to have the manager know when I went out to the mound what he was getting and that I was going to be there for him every four days. I misspoke a minute ago there. Uh, your class of 2022 into the induction, obviously, right. uh, voted yep. in in December of 2021. You know, that's what's happened with this coronavirus thing, man. We can't keep the year straight. Uh, <laughs> 2020 was such a, right. a, a screw-up that, you know. And, and then I went down this year to celebrate, you know, the the, the Derek Jeter, Larry Walker class and uh, Cooperstown. You're celebrating 2020, but it's 2021. You're like, what year are we in here? Um, have you right. have you thought, Jim, about what it will be like when your plaque goes up in the Great Hall with a lot of the legends of the game that you also played with, Gibson, Seaver, et cetera, on down the list, all, all the players before you. I mean, you're going to be up there now. It's you. You're with Mickey. You're with Joe D. You're with Garrig and Ruth and Ted Williams and Walter Johnson and, you know, uh, uh, Ty Cobb and Hank Aaron and Willie Mays. I mean, you're, you're right in that Great Hall now. Well, I am, but I'm, I'm not naive enough to think, you know, there's there's different degrees of Hall of Famers, too. I mean, I, I only got 30% with the writers, 30% of the vote, and that, you know, finally got through in the veterans. So, you know, if, if, if it was an auditorium with 20 rows, I might be in the 18th row looking ahead and waving to Walter Johnson and Sandy Koufax, you know, so I understand how elite they were, but it's uh, it's going to be very humbling to... You know, to just, uh, and you know, my dad, uh, when you're 83, obviously, you wish your parents could be there. But my dad, one of my favorite pictures, I flashed uh, the frame picture. I flashed it on the Zoom call at the Twins press conference the other day. Uh, my dad drove to the Hall of Fame in 1947 to see Lefty Grove. I heard that. Yeah. 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 And uh, wow. so, you know, I'm sure that will stir a lot of emotions with me just to think of, you know what it would mean if uh, you know if he was there because uh, he was such a baseball fan and historian, and uh, that's where I got a lot of my, you know, the history that I remember about the game is from what I learned from my dad. You know, he got the sporting news, and once the sporting news started carrying other sports, he canceled canceled his subscription. Hmm. He said the sporting news is a baseball bible, and it used to take us all week to read it because there was like 25 minor leagues and all the stories. And yeah. so that's, you know, that's what I was kind of raised on. You didn't have Pac-Man or Fortnite. So you didn't <laughs> play video games. You, you collected baseball cards and talked baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Final thing in, in, in a minute or so that I have left with you. Um, I, I know how big of a golfer you are uh, as well. Did I hear right on the Buster only podcast or, or somewhere? I think it was on Buster. Uh, that you shot your age or lower than your age? Well, I did a freaky thing when I was 75 because I learned to play the game right-handed and then, you know, I'm a natural lefty, but they didn't have left-hand clubs. So oh. then 
in the 90s, I started to play, learn to play left-handed. And at, at age 75, I shot my age both ways, left and right. Oh, my God. Now, at 83, my game has deteriorated considerably. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, that was quite a freaky thing to do uh, at age 75. Three-time All-Star World Series champ in 1982, a 16-time Gold Glove Award winner. He was the AL Wins Leader in 1966, a Minnesota Twins Hall of Famer, and now a Baseball Hall of Famer. He'll go in the class of 2022 in Cooperstown in late July of next year. It's Jim Cott. Jim, you have always been so kind with me, taking the time out. I can't thank you enough. It's an honor, and I will see you in Cooperstown, my friend. Thanks so much, Mike. I've always appreciated your support and uh, telling stories with you. The ML Sports Platter is brought to you by Stanley Law Office's Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual, New York State, and our great friends at Chick-fil-A of Cicero and Clay. Don't forget to get your holiday lunch catered from Chick-fil-A, from the chicken tenders to the mac and cheese and the fries, the delicious salads, and, of course, the delicious breakfast as well. Chick-fil-A will take it to you. Chick-fil-A of Cicero and Clay, proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. And, oh, by the way, try that peppermint shake. That thing is delicious at Chick-fil-A. You know, I, I wanted to spend a few minutes <clears throat> on, on the whole ballot thing just, just to close out here. Um, and look, do, do I think that all these guys who got into the hall of fame on this golden days era committee and early baseball era committee, do, do I think all of these guys are hall of famers like slam dunks? I, I, I don't, I, I don't know what level we're at now. Um, so many things change through the years, committees change, uh, the view of the game changes, uh, the analytics now play a part into it for the younger group. Um, you know, one year you could say, oh, well, Barry Larkin's absolutely a Hall of Famer. And then another year, you could say, well, he's a borderline Hall of Famer. You know, Jim Koch just talked about being in the 18th row in a 20-row auditorium and looking at Sandy Koufax and Walter Johnson um, up in the first row. Um, <clears throat> and look, Jim Cott, for a long time, had a career that probably was dangling in that area of being a borderline Hall of Famer, but he didn't have anything that jumped right out. And I remember a couple times ago interviewing him, if he had 300 wins, for example, that, that injury he talked about, if he had 300 wins and didn't have that injury maybe and, and one other amazing year, Jim Cott has 300 wins, he would have gotten in the Hall of Fame years and years ago because 300 wins is like the ultimate pencil it in. You know, just like... You know, a lot of times 3,000 strikeouts would be would be that as well. I'm totally down with the ballots in as Hall of Famers. And I think Jim Cott also, who just pretty much agreed and described it, you know, I, I, I think he's just a really good example. There are Hall of Famers. There are different Hall of Famers. If you got in via the Veterans Committee, you're you're a Hall of Famer now, d- d- are you, you know, is it still the elite of the elite of the sport? Uh, most cases, yes, it, it is. But, you know, when you, when you look, this isn't Harold Baines getting in here. Harold Baines is not a Hall of Famer. And that's another situation that occurred with, you know, uh, the committee and Tony LaRusso, who's a buddy of his, pushing him to get in. Harold Baines is, was a nice player. He was, he's a very nice guy. But he is not a Hall of Famer. He's in the Hall of Very Good. Jim Cott really did uh, teeter with and knock on the door of Cooperstown. His career, you know, Tony Oliva, same type of deal. When you look at Tony Oliva, 
three batting champions, right? Uh, 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 you look at a rookie of the year. He's a two-time World Series champ, uh, you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, coaching. Um, he, he was one of the more feared hitters in his day in the 60s and 70s. He had a 304 lifetime average. Didn't have a lot of home runs. Had an okay run batted in, 947. But again, impact with him. But he's not Willie Mays, you know? Like, there, there's different guys here. I think Gil Hodges getting in is great. Buck O'Neill should have been in a long time ago. Uh, Mini Minoso, eh, you know, I kind of go I, I probably on the fence with him a little bit. Uh, Bud Fowler, probably on the fence with him a little bit. But I understand them getting in. I understand, you know, what these committees are out there to do. Um, they're out there to get more people in, to celebrate the game more. You know, this is not the NFL where there's 53 men on a roster. There's more There's more football players who play than baseball players. Um you know, certainly, and, and and that's sometimes why you see in baseball, like it took Andre Reed forever. You know, he's my favorite wide receiver of all time, obviously. I can tell you right now, being a Bills fan growing up in the 1990s, there's no way that Andre Reed should have waited that long to get into Canton. Um, but look, there are different levels of Hall of Famers. Jim Cott is a lot more of a Hall of Famer then some of these guys who have gotten in, I mean, I can tell you right now, uh, I don't think probably Phil, Phil Rizzuto, eh, uh, Bill Mazurowski is not a Hall of Famer. I just mentioned Harold Baines. He's not a Hall of Famer. I would question Bruce Suter. I mean, there's a lot of guys who you look at and you go, eh. Jim Cott's resume, and look, I am not a person who says, well, he's in, now you put him in. He's in, now you put him in. You know, that reliever got in, now you have to put this reliever in. You don't have to put anybody in. You don't have to put Lee Smith in. Because Bruce Suter got in, right? Like, you you know, we need to not have that thinking, right? We need to think about it as they're in because they're deserving and they're Hall of Famers. Jim Cott, for his entire career, with the resume and, and what he achieved and how he fielded the position, you know, like the pitcher back in the 60s and 70s, you feel the position like that, like Jim Cott, that's as valuable as having a shortstop or a second baseman. You know, an infielder who's just vacuuming up all the baseballs. You know, we talk about all these guys who played pretty... I mean, look at Ozzie Smith. I think Ozzie Smith's a Hall of Famer. I don't think he's a, you know, an elite of the elite. He's he's in an elite fielding group, but he's not, you know, with Maze Mantle and, and the rest. But you, you get the point. And, and, and Ozzie Smith is credited mostly for his fielding in his career as a Hall of Famer. Well, Jim Cott was one of the greatest fielding pitchers of all time, and he was certainly that way for a good, you know, 15 years. My God, the guy won 16 gold gloves. Um, he, he's not a blow-away Hall of Famer. Nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to confuse him with 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 Koufax and, 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 and Walter Johnson and Whitey Ford and Seaver Gibson and on down the list and Randy Johnson. Nobody's going to do that. But I think for what his career was and and what it represents today through the years generations connections what this committee is is there to do uh he's as deserving as anybody of getting in there and, and he's also just a tremendous human being and that adds a lot to it for me i mean when really good guys get the call uh to the hall that that that's a great thing you know gil hodges in um no question in my mind about Gil Hodges. Uh, I know a lot of people have been writing about him for a long time, Kevin Kernan and Mike Vaccaro, two regulars on this show. Um, but Gil Hodges, you know, you look at his his career, right? And 
I mean, this guy was part of the, the Brooklyn Bums, right, in the 1955 World Series, winning that. Um, you know, he, he played for the Mets for a short time. But, you know, eight-time All-Star, three World Series, three gold gloves, uh, you know, ha- had had a decent RBI uh, amount of 1274. Again, not blow-away stuff, not Hank Aaron numbers, 370 home runs and 273 batting average. But then when you take that plus his managerial career, um, you know, with the 69 Miracle Mets and all the rest and how he really, that year, he delivered a a sense of pride and a responsibility to wear the Mets uniform. And that really, I think, propelled the Mets into some of their later years, um, you know, going to another World Series and then winning it all in 86. A lot of that was Gil Hodges. If you ask New York people, Queens people, Met people, they'll tell you the impact he had. I mean, look, between a, the player and the manager, this dude needs to be in the Hall of Fame. No question about it. Now, um, I, I'm assuming that he'll get in. You know, his plaque will probably highlight most of his playing career, and then it will highlight a little bit. You know, he was also a manager of the Miracle Mets, blah, 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 maybe at the at the back end. But this guy is in the Hall of Fame. He deserves to be in there. His combination of player and manager reminds me in terms of the winning and the and, and what he brought and the impact and the example he set reminds me a lot of Joe Torre. I'm not going to lie. Joe Torre was kind of a fringe Hall of Fame type player, but then as a Yankee manager, he's a shoe in to get in. Obviously, he got in as a manager, but, you know, I wouldn't mind starting to see that too, like combination type of deals. Like, how did you get in? Well, you get in as a player and a manager and put it on the plaque. Either way, congratulations to one of the great guys in baseball history, Jim Cott on getting elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame of the Class of 2022 by the Golden Days Era Committee and the Early Baseball Era Committee. Uh, they held some meetings on December 5th of uh, 2021. And uh, if you don't know, obviously, uh, the Golden Days Era Committee, I'll just review it here, considered a ballot of 10 candidates whose primary con- contributions came from 1950 to 1969. And then the Early Baseball Era Committee considered a 10-person ballot whose primary contributions came prior to 1950. Obviously, the former is the one that helped get Jim Cott into the Hall of Fame. I will be there. I can't wait. He joins um, fellow Golden Days era electees, Gil Hodges, Minnie Minoso, Bud Fowler, Buck O'Neill. And uh, this is just going to be a a tremendous, uh, tremendous time. Tony Oliva is going in as well. Um, So it's Jim Cott, Tony Oliva, uh, Gil Hodges, Minnie Minoso, and uh, Bud Fowler and Buck O'Neill. Unfortunately, obviously, Fowler, Hodges, Minoso, O'Neill not alive to see uh, to see it, but Oliva and Jim Cott getting ready for the summer in Cooperstown. Thanks for listening to the ML Sports Platter. I'm Mike Lindsley. Hit me on Twitter, at Mike L Sports. We are brought to you by Burn Dairy, the Vince Aguirre Consulting Group, and Sit Mean Sit Syracuse, the best dog training in central New York. Get a free consultation today. Any breed, any dog, any behavior, sitmeansit.com for more information. A tip of the cap thank you as well to Prestwick Golf, Axe Exotic Pets, and our great friends at Ken's Auto Detailing. Go like them on Facebook and check out their gift card special for the holiday season. Ken's Auto Detailing, the official detail house of the ML Sports Platter. As I always tell you, enjoy the games.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.